Good morning. My name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here. We are continuing through Exodus uh, chapter 15, verse 22. We're going to go all the way through the end of chapter 16 today. You can uh, turn uh, in your blue Bibles to page 34. The text will also be on the screen. So uh, one of the things I've realized over the last few years is that America has a new favorite pastime. I'm not talking about how football clearly replaced baseball a couple decades ago as America's pastime. Uh, America and Americans, uh, we love complaining. Like it, it is real and it's getting worse. I mean, it is everywhere. You go on social media, see people rant on Facebook, complaint after complaint. And if you're still on Twitter, on Twitter, and that gets like retweets and likes and you go girls and all kinds of stuff. And it's not just there or in Google reviews or in Yelp reviews. It's in work rooms, uh, break rooms and family dinner tables. It's everywhere. And here's what's wild is that all of us realize that our culture is complaining and grumbling too much. Like we get that. And no one thinks it's good, right? No one thinks it's a net positive for society when all of us are angry and complaining and grumbling all the time about things. None of us like it, but then we look in the mirror and then we realize how easy it is to complain. Like I, one of the things I've, I've said in sermons in the past is I have chronic back pain and there's just times where it's just so easy to just complain. It's so easy to just be frustrated and to grumble. It's what we do and it's, it's, a, it's a human problem. It's a part of the fall. And while it may be very prevalent more now than it it has been the past. It is something that goes all the way back to our story in the book of Exodus today. We are not alone in this. We're going to see the people of God. We're going to see how God provides for them and how they grumble in the midst of it. So we'll see a few things happening as we walk through this story together. We're going to see clearly that God is a provider and that he's good in his provisions towards his people. We're going to see that as he provides, God is teaching his covenant people of God, what it means to be his people. Then we're going to see the people of God grumble and complain repeatedly. And then we'll see how God responds to them. So let me pray for us. And then we'll walk through this together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help the scriptures come alive to us this morning. That they would pierce our hearts and that we would see what it means to have a God that loves us so much that provides for us, that is worthy of our faith. And out of that, we would change and repent and be a people that grow into your likeness, into your image. And this would ultimately result in worship and delighting in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, this part of Exodus is a shift. Uh, we're moving into the wilderness part of the story. The people of God are going to wander in the wilderness throughout the rest of Exodus. In fact, they're going to wander throughout the rest of the Old Testament law. So the next few books in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, like this is, this is what the people of God are going to be doing is wandering. So we're going to pick up in verse 22. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So they leave the Red Sea, and they're wandering for three days in the wilderness, and this wilderness is the desert. It's no small thing 
to not find water for three days. That's not an inconvenience. That's actually somewhat dangerous. Now, the people would have surely had, you know, water packs, you know, lots of storage, similar to I've seen some of you with your, I don't think you can call those water bottles, those water gallon jugs. You know, with the motivational stickers that say, you can do it, drink a little more, you go. Like, they had some version of that, but they would have been going through this water, and it's a little concerning when you're in the desert with all these people and you don't see water. It's no small thing. And then in verse 23, it says, when they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. So, you can imagine you're traveling in the desert and then you see a water source and your cracked lips smile and you run to that water source and you hit your knees and you scoop up some water and you bring it to your face and it's garbage. It's awful. It's bad water. So bad that they named the place Mara, which in the Hebrew means bitter. That's a disappointment. And I would say it's okay, it's fine to be disappointed in life. It's fine to be disappointed when you're so desperate for something and you don't get it. But how they respond in the midst of disappointment, well, that, that's where things really start to go south. Verse 24, it says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? They grumbled. They murmured. They complained. What are we going to drink, Moses? This is not a question done from a respectful posture that's trusting Moses, that's trusting God. This is grumbling. What are we going to do now, Moses? We've got no water. What we've got is this bitter mess. And it's wild because they've seen God work not too long ago, in some incredible ways. They saw as he brought plague after plague, sign after wonder upon Pharaoh, their oppressor. They walked out with gold and jewels from the Egyptians. They were led through the wilderness by cloud and by fire. They came to the Red Sea and watched God part the Red Sea, and they safely went to the other side as the waters crashed down on the Egyptians who were trying to take them back. They saw all of this, and just a few days in, they are grumbling. Baffles commentators when they look at this. One commentator was like, if you need evidence of grace in the Old Testament, look no farther than this story. He, he should destroy them. He should crush them. After everything that he's done for them, they are grumbling. But we're going to see how God responds. Verse 25, and he cried to the Lord. This is Moses. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. That God responds by providing. How good is God? Moses takes a log and throws it into the water, and now the water is sweet. Our God is so good in how he provides. And then he uses this situation to teach the people. So it says, There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do, which is, do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, 
I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Now, I don't know if you caught that. God just flexed both his unbelievable steadfast love and care and his power in the same breath. Like a good father whose hands provide the warmest and softest of embrace of his children, but also the firmness of discipline. He flexes his care and his power. I am your healer, but if you do not trust me and you don't walk in covenant faithfulness with me, you will see the power that I put on the Egyptians upon you. Now that's a lesson that the people of God need to learn. One of the themes we're going to see traced throughout the rest of Exodus is that the people of God are learning what it means to be the covenant people of the Lord. They've been slaves for 400 years, and now they're learning what it means to be his people as they are wandering. So they keep wandering, verse 27, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They wander some more, and again, God provides, leads them to water and to palm trees. So they get a chance, as we move into chapter 16, to start fresh, to trust God. And then in verse 1, it says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is just the name of the region. Don't read too far into that which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day, on the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. Grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate, the bread, to the, ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Oh, no. <laughs> like, you know the part of the movie where there's a, there's a smaller guy, and he's, like, talking a bunch of junk about a bigger guy. And he's talking smack, and these guys are in front of him, and he's just talking chirping, chirping, chirping. And all of a sudden, the big guy comes into view and kind of walks up behind him, and he just keeps talking, keeps talking. That's how this feels. It's like, oh, no. Do you know who you're complaining against? Do you know what God has done for you? Now what you're saying is, is, oh, that we could just be back in Egypt as slaves again, that we could belong to Pharaoh. At least we had the meat pots and the bread to the full. This isn't the first time they've said something similar to, uh, you've brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us. And Exodus 14, 12 is the Red Sea. They're before it, and they're waiting to see what's going to happen next. They said, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness what this shows is they don't trust God. They don't trust God. They don't trust him to provide. They don't trust him that he's going to take care of them. After everything that God has done for them, they do not trust that he is good. They would rather be back in Egypt as slaves. At least they had meat pots and bread. So how does God respond to this? Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. 
God and his steadfast love towards his people listens to that grumbling and says, I will provide for you. I'll provide for you. I'm going to rain bread down from heaven. In spite of your grumbling, in spite of your thanklessness and your discontentment, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to rain bread down from heaven. Not only that, in this I'm going to teach you. How good is our God that he provides and that he endures and that he teaches in his steadfast love towards his people. He's going to use this as a teachable moment day by day all the way until we get to the sixth day. Verse 5, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So he's going to teach his people to trust him. And then, when the sixth day comes, which is the day before the Sabbath, and it's a little unclear in the text, either they're going to be commanded to gather twice as much as they need, or God is going to providentially, in caring for his people, give them twice the amount. And what's that? That's foreshadowing, which we're going to see more of in a moment, is that God is trying to teach his people what it means to be the people of God by remembering the Sabbath. This goes back to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve were created in Genesis 1 and 2, that Sabbath rest was created for the people to rest in God. And they have been slaves for centuries, not taking the Sabbath. They belong to Pharaoh and not to God. And God is trying to help them see you don't belong to him anymore. You belong to me and my people will pause and they will rest. They, they needed to make the switch and realize that they belong to now. When I was in middle school, uh, all the way through middle school, I was a part of, uh, I was in public school. Uh, and then in the eighth grade, um, well, the first eighth grade, I did eighth grade twice because middle school is awesome. But in the first eighth grade, up until then, I got in a lot of trouble. I spent a lot of time in in-school suspension, a lot of time in after-school suspension, because in public school, it's a slap on the wrist. It's like, okay, fine, I get to be out of class. I'm to listen to you talk. This is awesome. But I went to this private school out in, like, the sticks of Saluda and Batesburg, and uh, the first week I got in trouble, I sat in the office. I was waiting for my slap on the wrist, and my, uh, my principal was also my coach. He said, all right, grab your tennis shoes. I'll see you after school. And I went, what? You're just going to send me to a room to, like, read a book? And then after school, I ran until I almost was sick. And I realized I belonged to a new people. <laughs> and I will not continue like this. And for the rest of the eighth grade and, and the rest of high school, I did not get in a lot of trouble. The people need to make the shift here. They need to see what it means. You don't belong to fear anymore. You belong to me. And you're going to remember Sabbath rest. And then in verse 7, it continues, in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, which, pause for a moment, not just bread, you're getting meat. Praise God. <laughs> Gonna get to eat meat too. Because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. That truth needs to sink so deeply into 
our souls as it needed to sit and sink deeply into theirs. That when we grumble and when we complain in this life, that is ultimately against God. God, you've not provided in the ways that I want. You've not done what I saw fit. And the complaints and the grumbles that we have is ultimately against him. And Moses makes that clear. Your complaint is with the Lord. Verse 9, then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. In the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He's like, I'm, I'm going to provide. And you're going to know that I'm the Lord your God. I'm going to teach this people who I am. Verse 13, in the evening quail came up and covered the camp. Which, if you don't know what quail are, because you live in the city or you didn't hunt, you're not an outdoors person, or you don't like birds, it's a bird. Quail's a bird. And it covers the camp. Not, oh, they went outside and they started picking up a few quail here and there. It covers the camp. They get to feast because God has provided quail at night. And they wake up the next morning. And in the morning, do lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up there, was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing fine as frost on the ground. So they wake up after a night of feasting and they rub the sleep from their eyes and they look and they see the dew and they keep looking and when the dew dissipates, this frosted flake-like substance, like the OG frosted flake, you guys, starts appearing and their response is when the people of Israel, verse 15, when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. They said, what is this? And that's what they go on to call it, is what is it, bread? It's called manna. We're going to see in a moment. Manna means what is it in the Hebrew. What is this? And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer which we don't measure in numbers anymore, but the estimates is that's anywhere from between one and two pounds. Each of you take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in your tent. So I have a family of five. That means we'd have anywhere from 10 to 20 pounds of manna. Now, I don't know if any of you cook or bake, but 20 pounds of flour, that's a lot of biscuits. It's a lot of scones, a lot of pancakes. It's a lot of non-breakfast food item bread. That's a lot. You can eat on that for more than a day. It is enough. You're going to eat to the full. Verse 17, the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And I, I love this. Whether they're gathering a ton as much as they can or a little, it's all going to come out the same. 
You're getting an omer, and that's going to provide for you. This is God teaching them, I'm your provider. I'm the one who gives daily bread. You're going to learn this. Whatever you gather, it's going to be what you need. And then in verse 19, and Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till morning. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say, don't, don't leave any over, left over to the morning? Because it's possible they're not going to trust the Lord. The reason you would try to keep some to the next day is because you don't think the next day man is coming. Like the reason why when I put my kids to bed and I tuck them in, I don't find a bunch of Z-bars and gummy, gummy stuff and all the things we put in our snack drawer and applesauce packs. You know why I don't find that? Because they know that that food downstairs is stocked. They know. They can go in a snack drawer. They know it's there. Not from once have they ever thought, I need to store some food because I don't know if I'm going to eat the next day. They, they know that it will be provided for. And the people of God need to believe this. They need to trust God and his word here. Don't leave any over to the next day. They're being tested. They're being taught. I don't know if you've seen the theme of today, but you can kind of guess how this is going to go. Verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. So I'm left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. So they didn't trust God again. They disobeyed God again. And the whole camp stank. And Moses is rightfully angry because this people isn't getting it. They're not trusting God. What does God have to do to help you see that he's worthy of your faith and your trust and your obedience? This people will not listen and they have failed again. But they're getting another chance here because day after day, all the way to the sixth day, the Sabbath is coming, and they have a chance to obey. Verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two emmers each. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, lay it aside to be kept till morning. So, gather. You're going to have enough for two days. This time you can set it aside. It's going good so far. 24. So, they laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Verse 25, Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather in it, but on the seventh, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Everything's trending well. They're doing so good. And then verse 27 happens. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And there it is. They, again, do not trust the Lord. We got to go out, we got to gather, because what if we don't have enough? And they don't trust God that he's going to take care of them again. 
And the Lord, verse 28, said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go outside of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. God teaches them. He doesn't bring judgment upon them. He's providing and he's teaching. He's trying to get through to the people of God. And then in verse 31, it says, Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Which, pause for a minute, it's nice that God is not against sweet bread. You know, even against, you know, some of our diets don't say we shouldn't have it, but it's not, it's good. It's a gift from the Lord. Verse 32, Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that you may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. So God wants them to say, take, take some, put it in a jar. I want you to remember how I provided for you. I want you to remember how I gave you daily manna. 34, and as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth of part of an ephah. Okay. And that's the end of chapter 16. This story is powerful because in spite of their lack of faith and in spite of the rebellion and in spite of Israel's sin, in spite of their grumbling, they're grumbling against the God who saved them, who redeemed them, who freed them to be in his presence. In spite of all of that, God provides for them again and again. God takes care of his people, and he teaches them. In spite of their rebellion, he teaches them in spite of their sin. And the good news of the gospel is that God still does that with us. That God still does that with us. You see, when you get to the New Testament, and you get to John 6, and you see the feeding of the 5,000, which is one of the more popular miracles that we read about in the scriptures, when you read the feeding of the 5,000, you see that that entire miracle is an allusion. It's alluding back to Exodus 16. There's so many things where, where Jesus in that moment is fulfilling Exodus 16 from the bread that is multiplied until the people get enough to the 12 baskets that represent the 12 tribes. There's so many things that are happening in that story that point back to Exodus 16, point back to the story of manna. And that's made even more explicitly clear in the teaching that follows the feeding of the 5,000. So we're going to pick it up in John 6, verse 30. It says, so they said to him, this is people asking him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. That's Exodus 16. So we get to see that miraculous sign from God. What are you going to do? Jesus then said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they hear this, and their ears perk up. And they said to him, verse 34, Sir, give us this bread always. We want that. You got something better than the man that was given to our people? I, I want that bread. What is that bread? And Jesus answers, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the eternal manna. I am the bread of life. And if you eat of me, if you come to me for satisfaction, if you come to me for fulfillment, if you come to me, you will never, you will never be unfulfilled. And you will always be satisfied. So Jesus ultimately fulfills this story. Now, I want to see two clear things coming out of this from Exodus 16 into John 6. And the first is this. God cares for you. God cares for you. There are times where we don't believe that. There are times where we have these, these complaints that says, if God really cared about me, he would do fill in the blank. He'd provide this. He'd help me here. If God truly cared for me, then I'd have this. I'd have the meat pots back in Egypt. I'd have the bread to the full. Fill in the blank. If God truly cared about me, why doesn't he fix this? And I want to say very clearly, God absolutely cares for you. And he cares for you more than you could ever care for yourself. Because what we see so clearly from the scriptures is that our concern is mostly and sometimes exclusively about temporary things. The things that we want, the things that we so deeply desire, oftentimes are only temporary things. And God is saying, I have something better for you. I have something eternal for you. I have eternal heavenly bread, the bread of life in Christ that is for you. I have not forgotten you. I care about you more than you could ever care for yourself. That's the first thing we need to clearly see. That God loves us so much that he sent the bread of heaven down for us. And he lived a life that we could not live. And he died a death on the cross that we deserve. And he resurrected it to give us a new life in him so that we could eat of this eternal bread and take part in Christ into eternity. God absolutely cares for you more than you could ever possibly know or imagine. You just have to come to him in faith. And here's the second thing that we need to see coming out of this story. And this is especially true for Christians. We need to stop grumbling. We need to stop complaining. We need to repent here. Because complaining is so native to who we are as humans. And we need to stop. It's not just a principle that's taught in Exodus 16. 
It's an explicit command when you get to the New Testament. In Philippians 2, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The rest of the world complains. You know why? Because that's a humanity problem. It's what we do. And what he's teaching is that you get to be uniquely different. You get to shine as light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You get to be different. You know why we get to be different? Because we know better. Because as Christians, we know better. When John Piper is commenting on Philippians 2, he says, Do all things without grumbling. Why? You have a sovereign God who is on your side who works everything together for your good. That everything, including the suffering, including including the loss and the lacking, is ultimately for your good. And the Israelites could not see God's bigger plan. They couldn't go a few days without water. They couldn't go, go a few days with limited food. They could not see God's bigger plan. And they complained and they grumbled. And so do we. We don't see God's bigger plan, and we grumble. We need to believe the gospel. We need to believe that Jesus is the bread of life. And then when we do that, we replace our grumbling with something better. The solution to our grumbling is godly gratitude. The solution to our grumbling is godly Gratitude. It is a deep-founded belief that God works everything together for our good. Even the parts of life that are miserable, even the parts of life that are crummy, even the parts of life that don't seem fair, that in those moments we want to complain and we want to grumble ultimately against our God for what he has not done. I know I feel this, y'all. You might think, but you don't understand. My pain is chronic. My hurt is unending. How could God love me and allow me to suffer like this? We get to, as Christians, replace that with a posture of gratitude that says, Thank you, Jesus, that my hope is in a resurrection that is in the future. A future bodily resurrection where I will have no more pain and no more hurt. And I will be in your presence forever. And all this pain will be a distant memory. But until then, praise God that I have the teaching that comes from Paul. That Jesus' power will be made perfect in my weakness. And I will praise you and thank you all the more. You might think, I just want to be married. I just want to have a family. I've wanted this and I've wanted this and I've wanted this. If God really loved me, why hasn't he given me this? We get to believe the gospel, and we get to replace that with gratitude that says, thank you, Jesus. I, I don't know why I don't have a family in this life, but I thank you that I have an eternal family that I've been purchased into now. And I could experience that in part now with this church family and in my community group, but that even pales in comparison to the eternal family of God that awaits me when I will be in your presence with my brothers and sisters, with you as my father. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm a part of a better family. You might think, I, I just, others have it easier their lives are easier. They have more means. They have 
better physical health. They have better mental health. They have all of this. God, why can't I just have fill in the blank? And we get to from a place of faith. So thank you, Jesus, that you bless others. Man, I don't know why you haven't blessed me. I don't know why I'm suffering. I don't know why I'm enduring loss. But I'm going to learn what it means for you to be my daily bread. Because you are enough. We need gratitude for the glorious work of Christ. That is the remedy to our grumbling. I don't know why God has ordained that some of you suffer in the, in the ways that you do. I don't know why your life is not easier than others. And I won't pretend to be speaking on behalf of God directly to answer why you are suffering. Perhaps from the scriptures, you may have some reasons. Maybe he is teaching you daily faith like he taught the Israelites. Maybe he's breaking you of love of this world and believing the things in this world are going to satisfy when only Jesus can. Perhaps you are suffering in the wilderness in ways that are ultimately for your good that you may not have the answers for in this life. I don't know. But I do know the solution is the same. Church family, let's not be like the Israelites who God saved and redeemed and freed and brought into his presence and then went on to grumble and grumble and grumble and grumble. We get to be the people of God who are saved and redeemed and freed and are brought into his presence. And from that beautiful gospel, we say, thank you, Jesus, that you're enough. You will be my daily bread. And that is enough. Matt's going to come up, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper, which is a reminder that Jesus is enough. That we get to come to the table, as Jesus did 2,000 years ago, and we took bread, and he broke it. He said, this is my body that was broken for you. It's for, he's the bread of heaven. He's the eternal manna. He's whom we need. It's my body that was broken for you. He took the cup of the new covenant. He said, this is my blood that was shed for you. That as often as, I, as you eat and drink this, you proclaim my death until I return. And as a people between his death and his return, we sit in the middle. And as Christians, we get to believe the gospel. We get to believe that Jesus is enough. And no doubt, I've got repenting to do for the complaining in my life. And because you're human, so do you. And we get to come to the table and say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for grumblers like me. Lord, help me have gratitude and thankfulness and faith, faith to trust that you're enough. And if you're not a Christian, please don't take part in this. We don't want you to take part in this. We want you to take part in the eternal manna who is Christ. We want you to believe in him. We want you to see that he's better. There's nothing in this world that will satisfy you. There's nothing in this world that is going to fill the God-shaped hole in your soul. The only one who can is Christ. And we plead with you. Believe. Right now. Place your faith and trust in Him. And when you are ready, come to the table and remember the bread of heaven that we get to take part of in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us see you as so beautiful, so much more compelling than anything else in this world. God, I pray that you would help us be a people that believe the gospel, that you are the bread of life.
that you are enough. And out of that belief that we would be a people that show unbelievable gratitude, knowing that we don't know how and why and all the things that are happening in our life, the way that they are happening, but we know that you're enough. And we will praise you. And I pray if there's anyone here that has never eaten up your eternal bread, that has never trusted in you, I pray right now that they would. We ask this in Jesus' name.